I'll never forget. Like, I'll never forget. Do you know what I mean? Do I forgive him? At the core, I do forgive him. But do I still live with the consequences and the mental, mental illness of what happened? Yeah. And some days, it... It rears its ugly head. That's Mark Ryan, a.k.a. The Beautiful Bogan. And he's not what you might expect from looking at him. Can't fight, but we can talk about our feelings. Mark's not your typical stand-up comedian. He blends light-hearted laughs with mental health advocacy, using his gigs as a platform to show people they're not alone in the struggle. Maybe if I share my experiences, you know, and wrap it up in a bit of humour, I can start making a difference. In between jokes, Mark shares the story of the abuse he suffered at the hands of a family member as a teenager and speaks openly about the trauma it caused him, damage he still deals with every day. Uncle, that was a bit twisted and sick and um, used to torture me, like handcuff me to a clothesline and torture me for hours at a time. Mark is a brave man who's living for his kids and for his mission to let as many people as he can know that no matter how bad it gets, you've got to keep fighting. That's what we have to do. We have to keep fighting. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson. I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. This episode has been made possible by Kookaburra Homes, the home builder that cares about the community. Kookaburra is big on investing in local projects that better our society and is an awesome supporter of Youngblood's mission to improve the lives of young men and everyone in their lives by opening up these conversations that we need to have. Trigger warning, this episode discusses suicide. If you or someone you know is suicidal, please call Lifeline on 13 14 11 or the Suicide Prevention Hotline in your country. How bogan are you? Pretty bogan. <laughs> I like West End. I wear thongs. <laughs> I live in the northern suburbs. I like wearing singlets. Essentially, a bogan to me is um, being a soul of the earth, Australian kind of guy, um, down to earth, helpful. And I think for the most part, they're all right dudes. You know, some of them, eh, and their values probably need to be checked. I guess probably not all bogans are created equal. As well. <laughs> That's exactly right. Do you think are bogans born or made? Oh, they're definitely created. <laughs> they're born and then their parents have like... I've got kids that wouldn't necessarily... I've got three kids, three boys. Junior bogans? One of them is and the others have, will have no part of it. Like, oh, so there's a choice then? It's a choice, okay. yeah. Uh, well, I've got my youngest who who's flat out, <laughs> but he's just an idiot anyway. But I, uh, he's my favourite. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you make that known? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hey, look, you got to let no, the other kids know to, how to be better. Is that because he's the only one who followed in his dad's footsteps? Nah, because he's just better at stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's just a funny kid. <laughs> he's 11 and he's just wild. Like he's just got a, a wild imagination. Like he tells me lies, which are funny <laughs> lies. Like, And they make me look like an idiot, but I appreciate him because I'm a stand-up. So, yeah. like, for instance, this whole car park, they're renovating at his school. I said, hey, mate, what are they doing there? He goes, oh, they're building chicken coops and a farm thing. And I'm like, that's really cool. He goes, yeah, they've got a community garden. And I was like, really? That's cool. Like, for a school in the northern suburbs, like, I was like, oh, man. And then I ran into the assistant principal at basketball. And I'm like, hey, and you're so like, how's the chicken coops? I was like, man, that's really cool, the little farm you're building. He goes, 
what farm? <laughs> what farm? <laughs> oh, no, it's just a new set of office blocks. I was like... <laughs> and what was your childhood like, Rona? Oh, yeah, it, it's, it had its rough patches. You know what I mean? Like, my parents did the best job they could do. Um, I guess the reason I'm in the hole I am at the moment with mental health and different stuff is that I had a, an uncle that was a bit twisted and sick and um, used to torture me like handcuff me to a clothesline and torture me for hours at a time and when you say torture how so like he'd put like pegs like clothes pegs all over my face and like set german shepherds onto me like just to bark right near me and squirt me with water and just do sadistic stuff like that and um how did that start you know what i can't even remember or like how young were you oh i was 13 so it happened for probably about a, a whole summer like my, my my parents would drop me at his house because i had a sick brother and they dropped me at his house for him to look after me for the weekend. And um, so then he'd be like, oh, let's come out the back. And then you just like, and then, you know, because I'm in therapy now because of all that kind of stuff. And so like, you just kind of, I guess you, you trusted him and you, you didn't know any different. You're like, oh, okay, it's just a game. But the moment, I remember, you know, I remember one moment where he would um, bring this, dead frog out and tease me with a dead frog right in front of my face and just like oh look it's you know and his wife was in it all and just like and it, you know it never really hit home until i was working at coles and one day some dude come and put a, a clothes peg on my ear man the anxiety attack i had like i burst into tears my heart rate went through the roof Shit. and then all these memories come flooding back and i'm like oh man because you'd repressed it all and gone into denial yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it, and then all of a sudden and that that's what I call sort of day zero. That's when like everything really hit the fan. And I was like, man, like I don't know if I want to be here anymore. I don't know. And my, because I've always had really so low self-esteem because of tracing back, you know, because before 13, I was all right. Yeah. And then after that, I've always had a, I've always had this, I guess, tendency to think about taking my life. And I've always had the, you know, that kind of thing going on so yeah just like that experience sort of broke part of you oh 100% like it just yeah 100% it did so he used to lure you out there and sort of act like it was a, a game initially yeah, yeah to yeah. the point where you were handcuffed to the clothesline and then would just do whatever to do, you do whatever yeah. I remember I remember his record was putting 52 pegs all over my face like just like everywhere and they would sting for ages and you just leave them there and you know it's hard to prove because like he's got i remember him taking photos and then he showed my mum one day and my mum was like what are you doing like if his dad finds this out yeah he's gonna kill you and so they kept it all because she didn't want her brother to get hurt do you know what i mean and yeah so you didn't tell your dad about it i i i only started telling him so I guess where this ties into my day job with stand-up is I wanted to get to the, the core of why do I feel the way I feel? Like, why why do I hate myself so much? Why can't I do Father's Day? Why is Father's Day, like, I lay in bed all day wanting to cry because I don't feel like a good dad? Like, why is my self-worth? Like, why can't I ce celebrate birthdays? Essentially, why do I want to take myself from this earth? A, a lot of the time, that's the thought process I have. Um, and then doing stand-up and, you know, being one guy on stage, do you know what I mean, trying to be funny and 
doing that and I'm good at it. Um, so I had to explore what that was. And then when I got to the, the bottom of that, I was like, well, maybe if I share my experiences, you know, and wrap it up in a bit of humour, I can start making a difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I did 30 gigs in 30 days and it was a self-produced tour, which essentially we just had French. So it's not a real big deal. A lot of dudes did 50, 60, 100 gigs over the over the, the span of the fringe, which is, what, 30 days. Yeah. I guess the difference with what I did was... Like you were travelling around? I travelled everywhere. Yeah. So I went... I did four shows in Roxby in 24 hours. I did shows in a skate bowl, in a boxing gym. Like, wherever would have me, I'd do a show. And then I'd, I'd start off by telling about my family and making jokes about my youngest son. And, and then I'd say, but this is what happened to me. And the whole purpose was it, of it was if there was anyone in the crowd to let them know, like, you're not alone. Yeah. Like, but also making that funny. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's That's because, fuck, it's not funny. <laughs> no, it's not funny at all. <laughs> and I guess it's, you kind of, like, you're kind of luring people in a little bit with the laughter at the start, right? And they're saying, well, this happened to me because there's probably five to seven minutes of the show that isn't funny. Right, because you're talking about this stuff, and people, you can hear the the air suck out of the room, and people go, oh, yeah, oh, and you're like, yeah, but yeah, and I, I guess the core of it was what really changed my stand up career was because stand up's narcissistic by nature. Mm. It's one person on stage trying to get all the laughs yeah. for them, for their self esteem. Yeah, and that your self esteem totally relies on whether people laugh yeah, or they yeah. don't. Yeah, as a stand up comedian, you're already really putting yourself out there. Let yeah. alone then talking about your PTSD, like yeah, yeah. And, and suicidal ideation. Like, but how, how have you found that people do respond to it though overall? Man, do you know how many times after a show, dudes will come up and go, "Hey, can I, can I talk to you?" Yeah, man. Oh, I think I need a hug. <laughs> yeah, really? bring it in, brother. Like, I must get a hug. Hug people. Like, yeah. I can't fix anything. I can't fix myself. Right. I'm still on this journey trying to work shit out daily for myself do you know what I mean so I say to people I can't fix anything but if you want to talk afterwards if you want to hug if you want to have a beer so that'd be yarn you know what I mean like I I can just only share my experience like I can encourage you to go get a mental health plan to go see someone like that's the bulk of all I can do yeah right but I think they're saying in sharing a lived experience that people sit back and go oh all right you know, maybe it takes the edge off of it, not knowing someone's been through it. Well, absolutely. And that's the whole reason that we do this show is to give people examples of others who've been through something similar or who are brave enough to step up and say, yeah, this happened to me and I accept that and this is what it was like. Yeah. Um, and that there's no shame in living through life and, and facing things that can be terrible and hard to deal with and we, we need to do it together. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and so I guess... Like, I did a show once in a backyard, which isn't uncommon. Like, anyone can remove me. Oh, do you want to come do a show? Yeah, I'm up for anything. You'll right? do it anywhere. Because I know if I want to get good, I need a hustle. Yeah. Right? And every 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 time you're on stage, that's 10 minutes better than you were before. Yeah. Right? And that's... So I'll do gigs anyway. So this guy's rang me one day. He said, oh, can you do a show in our backyard? I said, yeah, of course. He goes, but there's a catch. I said, what's the catch? He said, oh, they've just stopped my friend's cancer treatment. He's got two and a half weeks to live. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, 
who wants one last stand-up show before he dies. I was Jeez. like, oh. And they've chosen you. And this dude's like, I think you're the only, one of the only dudes that can do it. And I was like, all right. You're like, is that a compliment? <laughs> and he's like, how much do you want for it? I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> and part of me was like, how do, you, how do you do this? How does this work out? Mm. You know, like you've got a family that's heartbroken, like their dad, their partner, their, their uncle is, you know. And so I kind of went in there. I was like, and I looked around. And the moment I walked in, People started crying. And I was like, oh, oh, man. You're used to that. Yeah. I was like, oh, what do I, what do, I do? And it, and it dawned on me right there. I was like, I can't change this. And so I pointed out to Ange, I can't, I can't change this. I can't, I can't fix this. But you know what? We can laugh about life for half an hour. Let's just forget everything. Let's just forget it all. Like it doesn't, it can't hurt us now. Let's have a beer and just forget Everything, and that's kind of the message in my show is I can't fix now what my uncle did to me, right? I can't fix the bullying at school. I can't fix all the stuff that happened to me around that that age. I can't fix it now, mm. but we can laugh about it a little bit, and we can laugh about life because life is actually when we peel back the layers, it's funny. Yeah, like it is. It's well, and if you don't laugh, you cry. And if you don't laugh, you cry. And I do a lot of crying. We do both. <laughs> yeah, I, I do a lot of crying. Like, yeah. Um, and that's all right. If we just work together and talk and communicate, that can help. You know, so that's kind of the... Well, laughter is such a great tool for making, disarming people, making us feel more comfortable so that we're, you know, a lot more open to just being honest. And then you can sort of, once you've chipped away at that, you can create a, a more sort of authentic dialogue among people or people feel like um you know they're not they don't have to bullshit each other in, yeah, that, yeah, in yeah. those moments yeah and it's a bit it's a bit safer i think maybe you know people just kind of and when you're vulnerable like when you're like i'm very vulnerable on stage like yeah this is what happened and you know I, when i was halfway through that tour in streaky bay like i was i was doing that show and i, I talked about you know i said you know, the mind, I was talking about the repressed memories and how the mind hides a lot of stuff that it doesn't want us to, to feel mm. or to remember. But, you know, that day happened at work and then this happened and, and then all these memories come back about my uncle's house and and no word of a lie, my face started to hurt where the pegs used to be. Yeah, I was standing on stage going, holy shit. I had a moment where I'm like, I, just, I was just vulnerable and said, look, just... Just give me a sec. Because I remembered I was in the trance where I was just like, fuck, I can feel stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. we've, we've had people on this show, like a guy recently got his leg taken by a shark and he still feels the pain in the leg. That's yeah, yeah. not there sometimes. Yeah, where? Because it's amazing what the what the brain does and where it goes back to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and that's that was kind of the, at that point. And yeah, I just, like I said, the vulnerability just opens people up because people just go, well, if he's going to be vulnerable, yeah, and no one makes jokes about it because, <laughs> yeah, no, why would you? Like, Except you. But yeah. people are still receptive to it, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is showing that it's possible. And I think there's even more power in a bogan like you coming forward and doing that too because not only are we not comfortable being vulnerable or, um, you know, talking about that stuff, putting those messages out there, but certainly, you know, generally people look like tough blokes like you yeah, yeah. definitely not yeah and, and that's the funny thing because I, I say to people like i'm 
oh, I can't fight. Yeah. Like, I, you're not tough. I'm you're, not tough. You're a teddy bear. I, I'm a big teddy. Like, I can't fight. Like, that's why you have to be funny. Yeah, that's, and, and I like running. Yeah. So I'm not a good runner. Like, but I like running. Like, it's hard in thongs. It's, it's hard. In th- it's the only time I don't wear thongs is when I got my trail shoes on because I like trail running. I don't even know. I'm not good at anything apart from talking. Yeah, well, that's right. Seems to serve you all right. <laughs> so just um, yeah. back to like the first time that that happened with your uncle. Yeah, yeah. So what you just went home after that because obviously you kept going back to your uncles. You, yeah, yeah, and you knew what was going to happen after a while. Well, I think like how sort of regular was was that? It was. Was it always the same thing? Yeah, it was always like, it was probably over a summer holidays, right? Like, yeah. and because like, so I had a sick brother who was in hospital a lot. So my mum, my mum and dad, and like I said, they did the best job they could. They didn't know, right, mm. until later on. Like it was, it was a whole kind of summer that it kind of happened. Um, and it's that kind of thing where people are laughing and, and so you're like, oh, it's kind of funny. Uh, mm. It's kind of funny. But I remember the day that I realised that this isn't funny anymore is when he'd bought some new handcuffs, right? And they were cop ones, so every time you moved, they tightened even more. And I remember my my wrists getting cut from these. And I was like, I, this isn't fun anymore. Like, it was never fun. But now, this is just taking a serious... But they thing. initially tried to sort of sell it to you as being oh, fun yeah let's yeah. Oh, let's do this this is good fun like they're abusers yeah, you know what i mean like right. they're, they're flat out abusers him and his partner as well yeah yeah him and his partner and and it was like okay because i was 13 i trusted i didn't have many friends growing i didn't have many friends growing up mm. um you know i went to a private school and my mum and dad for the most part were reasonably poor yeah do you know what i mean um but they believed in education which it's disappointing for them now. <laughs> They're like this dickhead just stalks on stage, and but they sacrificed a lot for us to go to private schools. Mm. Um, but I never fit in because I just didn't have the Nikes, you know. I didn't have any of the shoes. Didn't have any of the clothes. And so my uncle was kind of my best friend okay. for the most part, and he knew that. So he manipulated that. So he manipulated, and you know, mm. and that was. There was a heap of other stuff that that would happen. Like I remember, you know, he got me drunk one. Oh, drink this, drink that. Like all like shots, and I guess the clothesline stuff was the peak of it. Do you know what I mean? It was all. I mean, knowing what I know now, I guess it's all um, grooming, grooming and yeah, you know, and nothing. It was ne- nothing ever sexual. Do you know mm. what I mean? Which I'm, I'm lucky. I guess I'm lucky for. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's you know also he'd set you up with pornography. Mm, you know, yeah. and, oh, this is this is your bedroom over here. Don't worry about those magazines. Don't worry about them. Do you know what I mean? Right. And you're like 12 or 13, and you're uh. like, ah, oh, don't, I uh, don't, you know, and he knew, now you look back, you knew what you were doing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he, he knew what what the game was. But I didn't go to actually abusing you, but no, that, no. that seems like a sort of a pre-step towards that. Yeah, yeah, but he never, he never... He never touched me or did anything like that. Well, but except for apart from handcuffing, apart from handcuffing, and you know, and yeah, I remember one day he said, "Oh, let's let's play a game." I was like, "All right, cool." Like you're 13. Like he goes, "The game is, you have to slap me, and then I have to slap you back." But I'll do it. You know, it's a game like who can slap harder. And I was like, "Yeah," and I was going like, "Ah, I'll just slap you a little bit." Do you know what I mean? Because I don't want to get hit. 
I remember Manny come back, whack, and slapped. I was like, fuck. Oh, was that funny? I was like, what the fuck? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you're just like it's just so confusing as oh, well. Oh, it's because you know, I said, and like, you thought this guy was your friend. You think he's your friend, yeah. like, w- which is what most abusers do, right? They groom into like, oh, we're mates. This is just fun. This is just yeah. Until you know, like I said, your repressed memories come back, and you go, and the anxiety comes back, and the feeling worthless, yeah. Like the the pure, like some people just don't get the. The feeling of absolute feeling worthless like you just don't feel like anything people are, oh you should celebrate your birthday i i don't <laughs> like i don't want to be made you know which is which is also a weird thing because i'm a stand-up comedian so <laughs> I, you don't want to be in the spotlight i want to be in the spotlight mm. when i'm on stage but off stage eh. so that's just one of those uh results of that abuse has just made you feel like that around I, those kinds of days and yeah i just like every day like my, my biggest mental illness, I guess, I deal with is suicide ideation. So there's not a day that goes by that I don't think or plan or imagine taking my own life. Do you know what I mean? Not a day. And pe- some people go, oh, I just, just don't. Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> Do you know what I really wish there was a day that I didn't, I didn't imagine that. But I've got things in place now to remind myself, oi, take a deep breath. You know what I mean? Like I got a tattoo with the, the Grim Reaper crossed out to remind myself that, you know, like it's it's a silly thing. Like Amity Affliction are a, a yeah. band, and you know they've got that Young Bloods. Actually, the song I think oh, they, okay. they say, um, "Have you ever felt the breath of the Midnight Reaper?" You know what I mean? I was like, I can't get that the lyrics tattooed on my arm, but maybe if I forget the Grim Reaper crossed out. That that's what it means to me. Yeah, it's a good take on it. Yeah. So, and then talking to my therapist, that's all symptoms of PTSD and trauma where you're made to feel less than a human. Yeah, at that time of development. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. And so how did that stop with your uncle? I just, um, you know, I think he just had a massive fight with my mum. Like, not over that. It was just like family feud and, and then they just went, you can't stay at your uncle's house anymore. And so part of me was like, good, <laughs> good, but then upset because he was my only friend. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and that's that confusing nature of those abusive relationships when they've made you feel like you are their friend and yeah, they yeah. manipulate you and take advantage of you, and the victim becomes, you know, confused about where they stand. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and the fear of missing out. Oh, because because he had a lot of money, as in they didn't have a lot of money, but they had more money than my mum and dad, and they didn't have any kids, so. We'd get takeout all the time, which when you're 13 and coming from a family that doesn't have a lot of money is a massive... I remember KFC was a big deal back in the day. Mm. It was called Kentucky Fried Chicken back then, which have changed. Anyway, but that was a massive deal. Like, or, or getting treats was a massive thing. Or he'd always have the, the newest console because he had money to, to pay for stuff. Yeah. Right? And so when that relationship broke, you were kind of like, oh. But part of it was also like, Oh, thank yeah. God. Like, yeah. that got taken out of my hands. Do you remember it really affecting you at the time, like after you'd go home or go to school or whatever, or did you repress it so much that you sort of didn't think about it until later? I, I think it was really repressed. I, I think it was really repre- repress, repressed because I didn't... I tried not to think about it, but also on the other hand, 
ever since then, I've had these thoughts every day. Do you know what I mean? And I've always been, um, always had suicidal tendencies, always had those thoughts, or I've always had that depression and anxiety. I've never known what it was. You know what I mean? And I've always been an overthinker and I've always, like, you know, if someone did say hello to me or whatever, I'd be like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? Like, I've always got self-esteem issues since then. Yeah. Even to a point, like, I remember I ran a show called Mosh Against Suicide back in the day when I was in 99. We put on this punk rock show. I was only 19 and we had, like, bands like Embodiment and Seraphs Cole and all these Adelaide bands play shows for this Mosh Against Suicide thing because that was my way of, I think, deflecting my own pain. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So when did you start seeking help for it or did, when did you realise that it, it was real? Um, you know what? After I did that series of shows, um, I was actually taking, I've got a foster son and I was taking him to therapy and... I remember one day I just broke, broke in his therapy. Like, <laughs> I was like, the counselor, the therapist was talking, and I've just lost my shit. And I, I'd seen a doctor, a therapist a few times before that with a mental health plan, but they, nothing really come of it. Like, it was like, ah, oh, you know, what's going on? Well, this, I don't feel, I feel like shit. I feel like killing myself. I feel like this, but why? Oh. But it was so. I think it was so repressed that I didn't. It didn't. It wasn't even a thing. And then after I did those shows, like it was a series of events that happened that I was talking to someone. I said, "Oh yeah, my uncle used to do this to me." And this dude looked at me and went, like looked me in the eyes and went, "That's not right." <laughs> and I was like, "Huh?" Mm. He's that wasn't right. That wasn't. That's not good. And that made me go, oh, so that didn't happen to everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> like, in my brain, I'm like, that wasn't a normal, like, other people didn't have, like, other people have, but not everyone had an uncle. It wasn't good. That, yeah. <laughs> that, and I was like, oh. So that was the first time that you, it, that, that brought that up and you actually thought about it differently. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man. It, oh, God. And, and I remember walking out of the cafe just going, and I was, because I was doing this show. This, so when was this? This was probably about two months before I started the Black Dog. The so my my tour that I did the thirty day tour was called the Beautiful Bogan versus the Black Dog. Yeah. And at the point, it was just talking about depression and the way I felt. But that was a moment in time that actually stopped and went. Maybe, that's why I feel the way I do. And what year was that? two so three years ago right now yeah um so it's still pretty recent that you realized that that was where it all sort of stems from oh yeah so so i guess the incident back at coles was the start of like my real like really being sick as in or unwell in my own mind like i remember you know really being down and really like because just really not well do you know what I mean but to try and explain that to family members and a wife and when you've got kids and yeah it was way hard like it was so difficult to be able to go I'm I'm not well mm. and so I would just go I'm going to see a doctor I'm going to see a therapist or whatever um, and I, back then I used to be 150 kilos so wow. my weight 
as well was a big thing. You know yeah. what I mean? And I just ate my feelings. This was at Coles. This was years and years ago. Late 20s. Yeah, late okay. 20s. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so that incident happened at Coles, which brought everything up. I didn't know how to deal with it. Mm. Fast forward a little bit of just struggling, like just really struggling. I found stand-up, which kind of took the pain away for a little bit because all of a sudden I was getting attention just for being funny. Yeah. And how did that start? Well, in a counsellor's office where he was like, oh, when was the last time you felt good about life? I said, oh, I made, made people laugh at a best man's speech. And he was like, oh, what, you want to be a comedian? I was like, yep. <laughs> I, I'd never thought, hey, like, a, oh, do I? better than picking boxes mm. but and so then and then he's like don't <laughs> like, what do you mean because that's the most vulnerable art form that there is but it's risk taking right and you know like i've got you know i'll take risks and and i did and so i got up on stage and i felt good for the and i think stand up put it back in its place again like repressed it a little bit more again because it was saying to take over my thoughts and and then when that didn't when stand up didn't get enough or when it got brought up again and someone was like oh this happened oh, I, I, when that guy in the cafe was like oh that's not good <laughs> and it yeah. brings it all back again and you're like no it's not it's not good mm. and so then I was halfway through, through writing that show that, so back in what three years ago now I was back writing that show, The Beautiful Bogan versus The Black Dog. I was like, I have to put this in the show. Yeah. I have to. So that, that's the first time I publicly talked about it. And I remember a dude going, <laughs> are you going to punch the shit out of him? And I'm like, and that whole 30 days was such a journey because every night I'm talking about this trauma and I'm bringing it back up every single night. And, that, and then I think at the end of that, I was broken again and... It wasn't long after that that I took my son to therapy and then I broke in his therapy session. But that but you did that whole tour before you were properly seeing someone yeah. to help yeah. you. Yeah. So you just thought, I've got to talk about this, I'm gonna do it with no safety net or no, anything. No I'm just gonna no. and I'm gonna do it every day. Yeah, like, yeah. God, that's pretty brave. Oh it's just I'm so passionate about trying to get in front of this curve, which is you know, men or women as well taking their life. And now I, now I can put words to it. Back then I didn't know what it was. I was just passionate about trying to let people know that you don't, you don't have to. Like, don't. Like, you, you're needed. And the weirdest thing happened. So halfway through that show, I was in Rock. Halfway through that tour, I was in Roxby. Tickets weren't selling the way that I wanted to. But at that point, I just went, do you know what? One soul. If it reaches one person... That's enough. If this whole tour saves one family from one man taking their life or one woman taking their life, then that, that's worth it because the pain of families being left behind is incredible. And I remember being up in Roxby and there were four uh, Māori brothers up there, right? And they were miners and they were big dudes and they kind of scared me a little bit. And, I was, and they saw my show. And then I think it was Heath come up to me after the show and said, hey, bro, can we talk to you at the back of the room? And I was like... <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I can't fight. <laughs> like, and I really, I haven't told him this, but I really was like, oh man, I hope I haven't upset these dudes. And they were like, hey, look, you don't know what you did tonight. And I was like, ah, it's not a good start. <laughs> not a good start. I was like, 
please just get it over and done with. <laughs> like, I'm, like, oh, man, what, what did I do? And they said, our brother took his own life four years ago or three. I can't remember exactly what it was. And they said, I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. And they said, no, like, but today was his 40th birthday. Would have been his 40th. And I was like, oh, man. And they're like, but you know the weirdest thing? I went, what? And they said, you're wearing a Raiders shirt. All he ever did was wear Raiders gear. And I was like, oh, man. And that was an ad hoc gig. That was that gig was because I was in Roxby at the time. And someone said, do you want to put on a show here? Why not? It was a last minute. It wasn't even meant to be. And I was like, man, the universe works mm. shit out. Do you know what I mean? And then the dude's like, can I have a hug? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, man, bring it in, brother. Like, And now I'm still good friends with them guys. Wow, amazing. Um, so there's stuff like that. Yeah. Like I said before, when you're vulnerable and you open yourself up to the universe to be able to just let people, yeah. And it's more than it's more than just making people laugh. It's more than just comedy for you. Like, It's amazing that you can do both. But a lot of comedy gigs, people go, the person's funny or they're not, and people will talk about the shit they said that that was funny. There's not a lot of comedians out there where they would afterwards they talk about like yeah, yeah it was funny and like fuck that story you told and like oh yeah and, and then get people talking about mental health like that's that's very unique. Well, it's it's just kind of like it comes back to that that gig in the garden in the in that backyard where this can't just be about me anymore. Do you know what I mean? I've got it. I've I've had an experience. It sucked. I live with the consequences of that experience now, but now I've got a voice. Do you know what I mean? Now I've got a voice and I want to use it and I want to try and get in front of this. I said, I want to get in front of this curve and try and... I got another... You know, I was in Port Lincoln. Uh, when was it? Late last year, right? I'm in the Port Lincoln Hotel having a beer. These dudes walk in. The dude comes up to me and he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like... <laughs> and it was 12.30 at night. You're like, man, I've got to learn to fight. <laughs> this dude was a stacked man. Like, and it was him and his brother. What the fuck are you doing here? And he was like, real. I was like, and I saw, I seen them drinking espresso martinis because obviously they'd run out of cocaine. <laughs> Do you right. know what I mean? So they had three by the time he come over to me. And I was like, oh, man. And I'm like, I was like, oh, I'm a stand up comedian. I'm about to go on a seven day tour of Air Peninsula. Um, just talk about my own experiences. I said, we didn't ask for your life story, man. <laughs> But he, just talk about mental health. I pretty much had the conversation I had with you about my life and why I am the way I am. And at a bar at 12.30 at night in Port Lincoln, and at the end of it all, this dude looks at me and just goes, are you a counsellor? I said, nah, man. I fucking don't have my shit together. I said, and that's where the whole thing comes in. He goes, so what do you do after the show if someone's upset? And you, you were saying before, like, it's Port Lincoln. And yeah. I'm in the front bar with these hardened dudes. And I went, I give him a hug and this dude just looked at me like I just punched him in the face like what you give other men a hug I'm like oh shit and I've just gone because I've got good intense situations I just went do you want like, a hug do you want a hug <laughs> and he goes oh I think I do wow and so I gave him this massive hug and then he's like oh man hey hey brother come over and give this guy a hug <laughs> so I gave him this dude a hug and I was like it's going to be alright it's gonna be, and so we talked a little bit longer, and then I went back to my Airbnb or whatever, and um, and I found out later on that 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 really broke something in them, right? Because it's Air Peninsula. I told someone else the story, and they're like, 
oh, you didn't hug them, dudes. I went, ah, yes. Don't hug anyone. I'll hug anyone, right? And he was like, oh. And then he messaged him and goes, oh, do you know this guy? And he goes, yeah, man, he was cool. I was like, cool, because I'm going back there. Um, but it broke. And there's been pivotal points like that that have reminded me that, yeah, it's all right. Like, you're doing the right thing. Mm. You know what I mean? We, I wish we could save everyone. I wish we, unfortunately, we can't. Do you know what I mean? But it's my way of trying to get in front of the curve and just trying to... But we can save some people. We can save... And you don't know who you're saving or, or who you're helping. Yeah, 100%. And that's why any chance I can get to talk about it and just open up about it. And, you know, there's everything has a cost. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, even talking about this, it has a cost. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to have to go for a run afterwards. I have to work through my feelings. So I've got my safeguards and my safety nets in place now um, that I'll work through. And... That's all part of it because if it helps one person, you know what I mean? Because I'm again, I'm not a good fighter, but I'm brave. You know what I mean? And that, that's, you know, that's why I say to my kids, I say I can't fight, but we can talk about our feelings. Yeah, and that's so much more powerful. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Now you are extremely brave. So, is your uncle still alive? Yeah, he lives in. Uh, as last time, last time I heard, he changed his name. He lives in Townsville and. But, again, like someone said to me, oh, are you going to bash him? Nah, what does that do? Like, what? I won't stop. So do you forgive him? Can you ever? I, I think I forgive him. I have to forgive him for my own, because I think forgiveness... It's for it, you, not them. It's for... Yeah, and I'll never forget. Like, I'll never forget. Do you know what I mean? Do I forgive him? At the core, I do forgive him, but do I still live with the consequences and the mental, mental illness of... What happened? Yeah, and some days it it rears its ugly head. Do you know what I mean? And you, and you remember stuff, and you're like, oh fuck. But at the core, I forgive him. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise, I can't move on. And this is part of the healing process: is talking about it. Yeah. And what has talking about it done for you, not for others? It. I think it takes the edge off of it. I think I think learning, going through PTSD therapy, right? Um, it, it taught me the more you relive the situations, as hard as they are, like every time you talk about it, it just takes a little bit more of the edge off. Do you know what I mean? And the more you, it just becomes familiar, so and it becomes a story instead of a, you know that's what you know. I guess that's what the therapists are trying to teach me about it. Um, yeah. And how do you feel about having other people know about it or know you for that? As long as it, if it saves one life, and that that's it is that is what it is. Hmm. What power have you found in comedy? Again, like say, like there's a whole thing in in comedy: time versus tragedy equals funny. I haven't written many jokes about the actual incident. Like I joke with my wife a lot about. Um, she's like, "Oh, can you put the washing out?" I'm like, "Really." <laughs> We've got like five dryers at my house because nah, we don't really. But like, you know, we joke about that kind of stuff. Like at home, I haven't really, because I think it's on stage, it's still a pretty raw mm. to make jokes about because if people have got the same experience or not the exact same experience, but the same trauma or the same kind of abuse, like making a joke out of the abuse itself. Mm. So that part of the show when you're speaking about that, that, not actually funny. That's no, not. That's not particularly funny. It's more of yep. a grounding moment yep. where you just 
relating to people, going because some people don't know. Like I, for years, I didn't know why I felt the way I felt. Yeah, I didn't. And you're just trying to you like lay a foundation of humor at the start and say, listen, this is what it is. This is why I have these thoughts. This is why I get anxious sometimes. This is why I'm a mess. So you, you bring them in with the humor and yeah. then you, you give them that message and then go back to the jokes. Afterwards. Then we go back to just laughing about life. What keeps you alive? My kids. And, and my, you know, I've said this to my wife. I love my wife very much. You know what I mean? Um, but my boys, my boys are my everything. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're solely the reason why I'm still here today right um and that's that's it like i and the the fear of because you know i i I like to think i like to put other people first right and i I always have man my biggest thing is how heartbroken my kids would be if i went through with one of my plans one day and they were trapped they were left at school until whoever knows when and that that breaks me to think so that keeps me alive. I, I even keep my son's pen license. I found his pen license in his school stuff one day and I keep that in my wallet to remind me, don't. You know what I mean? Like it's there all the time that if things get sketchy, don't. Look what you've got to live for. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You've got a lot of beauty in your life. Yeah, yeah. And again, they're teenage boys. They're frustrating. But at the end of the day, they're my everything. Do you know what I mean? And... Yeah, so that's and and now, you know, with you know, with the message that I've got, I figure, well, fuck, I have to stay around. You know, <laughs> like that's what we have to do. We have to keep fighting. Like I'll fight every day, and I run. I try and run as much as I can because um, I've learned through therapy again to match big feelings with big exercise, and then it kind of, you know, so I so I like trail running. So the other day I went for a run and did six k's. Um, through Anstey's Hill, come home, still didn't feel right. I was like, oh, this is going to hurt. <laughs> so I went for another 7Ks and then and then I felt right after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah. There's coping mechanisms. There's coping mechanisms. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you are you are the beautiful bogan, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, for, for a rough exterior, you've <laughs> obviously got a heart of gold and I'm really glad that you are still here and that you're, taking it upon yourself to go out there and put that message out and doing it at a grassroots level and go from place to place and present and say, look, this thing happened to me. It was really messed up. You know, I can't change that, but I can talk about it and so can you. And that's all, all we can ever do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the impact that you'd be having by sharing that in our state and then just also people knowing about it all over the place would be huge and you'll never know fully but yeah. it's amazing that you've had all those examples of people actually coming up to you and saying like hey like, you don't know how far that goes but it definitely goes a long way yeah well thanks man i, I really appreciate that if you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Young Blood Men's Health Matters on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and visit our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au, to stay up to date. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. A huge thank you to our local business supporters who've joined our mission to change the lives of young men for the better and help make this possible. We're all in it together. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.